I can hardly believe it's been four months since uh, we caught up with R.W. Johnson, who is the most popular of our columnists on Biz News. So it's long overdue. We've got lots to talk about, but not least the entry of Jacob Zuma into South African politics and um, some reflection on what actually happened this week. Quite an in- interesting week in the political scene, but mainly we're focusing here on Mr. Johnson's recent columns, which were largely focused around the Middle East. Mr. Johnson, good to be talking with you again. Maybe let's start off with that by-election result from, uh, it's called Abakos, okay, I'm not even gonna try, Freyheit in KwaZulu-Natal, where Jacob Zuma's new party had its first test of strength, I guess, and it managed to get 20% of the vote. There were only a 1,000 people voting, so it, I suppose it's not really something that you can take too much of a guide from. But Jacob Zuma's entry into the political scene, since we last spoke, that has happened. Is that going to change the elections much? Uh, it looks like it might. Um, he's been drawing very big crowds, uh, and... If he can just get all the people who come to his meetings to vote, uh, that's already going to be significant, you know. Uh, And it may be puzzling to a lot of people, but he clearly has a considerable personal pull, certainly in KwaZulu-Natal. And, um, you know, he is activating that. Um, Interestingly, his party doesn't say it stands for anything. Uh, I mean, it's just a vehicle for Jacob Zoom. But uh, that seems to be enough at the moment. So can he end up in polit- in Parliament again? Is that a possibility? No, he would never do that. He's on a presidential pension, and if he ended up in Parliament, he would forfeit that and end up with an MP's pension, which would be a great deal less. So I'm sure that that isn't part of his plan. And anyway, what on earth does a man of 82 want to do as starting a parliamentary career again? I mean, no, obviously not. But um, I think that, you know, the truth of the matter is that both he and I think Thabo Mbeki have sized up the situation and decided that the ANC is on the verge of collapsing and that this is a good moment to put the boot in. And um, I think that, uh, you know, he can certainly increase his general leverage politically uh, by doing what he's doing. It looks like he's going to have some significant effect in KZN, which is a key electoral battleground, uh, and that uh, you never know, the ANC may have to come and want to him on bended knee afterwards, which I'm sure he would enjoy. Would this have any impact whatsoever on the EFF, which does appear to be growing uh, its support base, well, certainly from anecdotally anyway? The EFF, well, notice that in that Freyhate by-election, they did very, very badly. Now, of course, they do badly in rural KZN anyway, but I think they will get squeezed in KZN uh, by the combination of ANC plus uh, MK plus IFB. (laughs) And that, that will be quite a blow because... 
Initially, Malema didn't even bother to campaign in KZN, but when he'd started to, he was amazed and very pleased to find that he had significant following. And since then, he's, uh, after all, it's a very large bank of votes. It's the second most populous province. And he's been making a big effort there. But as you know, they're going to launch their manifesto there and have a, a huge meeting there. And he, he's making KZN that important. So I think that, uh, you know, he will be very wary of what is going on because MK could certainly take a lot of votes away from him. Uh, though I would think that the EFF is never going to do well in rural KZN. But I think that its position could be stronger in and around Durban and also Maritzburg because the ANC has governed disastrously in both those cities. The people are very, very fed up with it and are looking for alternatives. And the EFF tends to thrive in that situation. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did reasonably well in those two cases. Your most recent column... Um, related to this miraculous financial turnaround of the ANC. And many people are talking on social media, commenting there and just generally uh, chatting that it was a quid pro quo for the country's stance on uh, at the international, uh, at the ICJ uh, in, on the Hamas-Israel war. That, however, might not be the case, as you explain in your latest column. Do you want to just take us through that argument? Well, uh, look, it's pure speculation whichever way you go, because there's absolutely no reason to believe that Iran or Qatar would uh, give the ANC money for that reason. There's no track record of them doing such things. Uh, and to be quite frank, the ANC launched into this without, I think, bargaining away with anybody about it. They simply, for their own purposes, wanted to do what they did. It's possible. After all, going to that court is an expensive business. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if they had gone to some wealthy Middle Eastern powers and said, we are thinking of going to this court would you be help, willing to help us with court expenses? Uh, that would seem to me a very likely thing to have happened. But actually, the large sort of sums that we're talking about, I suspect it's more likely that they came from Russia uh, than that they came from anywhere else. We know that there's a strong Russian interest. We know that because of the United, um, well, Victor Vexelberg, basically, the oligarch, who is involved with United Manganese of Kalahari, along with Chancellor House, uh, has a track record of giving them money already. And we know that the Kremlin is very keen for the ANC to retain power. They've made that perfectly plain. So all of those things add up. Whereas, to be quite frank, I don't think that the ANC retaining power is a major objective for either Iran or any other Middle Eastern country. You know, they may have been pleased to see their case, that's all. It's interesting as well that the foreign minister, the South African foreign minister, has converted to Islam or 
is that just uh, talk? Is is that the reality that Naledi Pandor is supposedly um, herself a Muslim, and as a consequence, she has very strong views, which the country is now uh, officially sharing? Well, I, I believe that her conversion to Islam was to do with her marriage, uh, and that her husband's a Muslim, and that she converted. Look, that I've known of many cases in Durban and around Durban where Muslims and Hindus married, and usually what happened is that uh, the Muslim says, look, we've got to have a single religion in the house, and it ends up being Islam, usually. Um, and uh, so I'm not, I'm not too surprised by that. But uh, I think that, uh, look, it's been the case almost since 94 that the Muslim influence at our Ministry of Foreign Affairs has been very, very strong. Um, we had, under Ambeki and Mandela, we, we had Aziz Pahat basically running things. And he appointed a series of other Muslims to key positions within that ministry. So uh, the, the Muslim influence has been quite consistent there for 20, 30 years, actually, if you have a look at it. But um, I'm sure that she, you know, she has all the zeal of the convert, and that uh, seems to have helped her along the way. But uh, I think it would have happened without that. I think that, uh, uh, you know, there were reasons of state for what they did, and it certainly seems to have helped them with their election campaign. So, um, you know, they will feel justified by that alone. Going on to that election campaign, yesterday we had the State of the Nation. I don't know how much attention you pay to that, but generally speaking, it appeared to be almost a campaign speech by Cyril Ramaphosa. What was your reading? Well, it was a campaign speech, and that's exactly what I expected, and I think anyone ought to have expected. I mean, we know that he is in that sort of mode. I think what is striking is we still don't have an election date. If it is May the 22nd, which it seems a likely thing, we're still three or four months away uh, from that. And I think it's worth noticing that, you know, this is a very lengthy campaign and the ANC have thrown themselves in very hard, very early on. And to that extent, they know that this is a very, very sort of serious and possibly desperate campaign. On that. They're giving it all they've got a long way out. How important is it to be well-funded in South Africa for an election? And I guess there, I'm getting back to what you were saying earlier about Russia and the possibility or probability that Russia supported them. Well, um, I think it is very important, and particularly if you're the ANC uh, or a would-be competitor party with the ANC. Because as we know, ANC campaigning involves lots of food parcels, lots of T-shirts, uh, and lots of uh, basically meals offered at rallies, uh, quite a box of food parcels, uh, so that the giveaways, as it were, are very considerable. They also very often involve a lot of busing people in from remote areas, and that means hiring coaches and so on. So... You spend a lot of money on those sort of things, which are not necessarily part of everyone's election campaign. But 
They're certainly part of an ANC campaign. Uh, and quite apart from state giveaways like extra social grants. It's interesting to read some of the feedback coming out of Freyheit uh, after that election that the EFF had attempted, apparently, to play the same game, food parcels, T-shirts, etc. But it, it only ended up with 13 votes. So the, the criticism or the commentary was people are getting smarter. They're taking the food parcels but voting for who they want to anyway. Might we be maturing to that degree yet? Well, I think, you know, that um, this has been the philosophy within the ANC and thus the AF, uh, EFF for a very long time. Uh, that they've always said to their activists that if people are offering you bribes of any sort, do take them. But of course, don't do what they ask because there's no way of checking. And um, that has always been the, the, you know, you're encouraged to behave that way. But look, I don't think we should read too much into the EFF not doing well in free hate. It's never been an area where they were strong, and I, I wouldn't expect it. I think we have to wait to get more urban results from KZN to see what's really going on. For some time now, you've been of the opinion that after the election, the most likely result will be an ANC-EFF coalition running the country. Given the um, the, the developments in the last few months, are you still thinking that that's the most likely outcome? Well, it's not, of course, the outcome which the ANC would prefer. I'm sure they would prefer it if they could get 45 46% and then do a deal with the ACDP and, you know, other small parties. Or, uh, equally uh, favoured by that, would be a deal with the IFP probably their most uh, uh, suitable of all. And after all, they did have a, an effective coalition with the IFP for years at national level before. So I think that either of those would be preferable to a deal with the EFF, who would be much more difficult and demanding, and who are a serious competitor. The IFP are a competitor at KZN, but nowhere else. Uh, whereas the EFF are now a competitor across the board. And have been eating into the ANC vote, which is serious and alarming to the ANC. And that that always uh, possible merger or coalition with the DA, do you put much credence on that as a possibility? I think it's the last uh, preference. I think they would, if faced with a choice between the EFF and the DA, I'm sure they would choose the EFF. Mr. Johnson, just... Generally speaking, how long will it take for, or how long does it take when you look back in history and in democracies all over the world, for the population to stop treating political parties like a football team that you support through thick and thin, and to actually start treating them as, uh, or rewarding them for good governance and punishing them for bad? Well, um, you're quite right that this, uh, this this is actually a subject I'm going to be talking to the, the Biz News Conference about, the so-called secularization of politics. Um, because I, it is inevitable that over time this does happen and that 
in, in the famous uh, saying by the American political scientist Harold Glasswell was that what politics is really all about is who gets what, when, and how, uh, i.e. politics is a distributive struggle, and that um, that's what normal politics is. Well, as we know, we haven't had that sort of politics in this country for quite a long time. Uh, politics has been about lots of other things besides that. and um, But over time, those sort of concerns do tend to become preeminent. That is true. Uh, but I think that it takes a long time, and it's not equally spread. One of the um, things which I think throughout Africa we have seen is that the secularization of politics, i.e. with politics becoming more about who gets what, when, and how, uh, that certainly happens faster in urban environments than in the countryside with the result that African nationalist parties tend to lose first uh, in towns and cities and to retreat to rural areas, which is what's happened in the ANC as well. Um, and that's part of this whole process. But so it, it, it happens gradually over a length of time. Uh, I think it's happening faster in this case than it did with the Nats who also, you see, were a party with a sacred cause uh, for a long time. Uh, they, as we know, they lasted 46 years. <coughs> the ANC is meeting these forces after 30 years, basically because they have been such a disastrous flaw, and even their own voters can see that and feel that. They're very upset about it, and I think this has accelerated that process. Uh, quite noticeably, so that all these questions are beginning to become very relevant here right now. For those who are looking for a more functional democracy in South Africa, have you got any hope in 2024, or is it going to be quite some time before we see that happening? Well, no, I think, as I say, it's happening unevenly. The opposition is clearly aiming for the three big metros, i.e. Kauteng, KZN, and Western Cape. Those are the three most urbanized provinces. If the opposition can win over half in those provinces, which seems quite possible, or at least maybe not in KZN, but they may still be the biggest element, uh, then I think that, you know, that has all sorts of implications for the future. Starting with the fact, of course, that if the ANC loses control of those provinces, they not only lose an immense amount of patrick, which is critical to their whole raison d'etre, but um, they also lose the ability to change the constitution uh, because those provinces are, would be enough to block any constitutional change. Uh, and, of course, if the ANC were to lose all three of those provinces, it would create a very strong sense of, of as it were, negative momentum. That the whole country would say, well, the ANC is on the slide. They were already lost these critical areas. We expect the slide to continue. And I think that would probably be right. Uh, so that 
you know, I think that you don't have to imagine it happening in Limpopo or Bumalonga, wherever. But if it happens in those three big metro centers, uh, that will be enough to change the game quite a lot. R.W. Johnson giving hope where perhaps many are focusing on the wrong, the wrong areas and uh, interesting to, uh, to put it into such clarity. Uh, he is a political analyst, an author, political scientist, historian, and the most popular com- uh, columnist on biznews.com. And I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com. Music.